following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Alan here, and we're continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark that I've entitled The Remarkable Gospel. We took a bit of a break last weekend for Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, and we're continuing in Mark chapter 6 this week. In order to get context, I thought we would start with verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 29. So this is Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through verse 29. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve, began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And as they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and may not read that correctly. Verse 13 again. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And now this is the section we'll be looking at today. Verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe when he kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. Verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. 
When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given it to us to help us to get to know you better, to understand how to live life more effectively. And so please help us in this in this time that you would speak to us and that you would make these words clear to us and help us to know what it is you're saying to us. Guide me as I seek to explain what you've laid on my heart. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So verses 1 through 6 of of chapter 6 was the unbelief of the hometown crowd. And we looked at that a few weeks ago. I call that the familiarity trap. And you can hear that, hear, watch that message, either by going to the All Saints Lutheran .ca website and go to the sermons link or there's a watch now button some watch listen now button right on the front you click on there it'll take you to uh, the the sermon page or you can go to our YouTube channel and and see and listen to uh, the sermons there so that was called the familiarity trap uh, and then verses 7 through 13 that's the sending out of the 12 and I called that unchained as explained, especially during this time, we need to be reminded that even when we feel or are restrained, we're in isolation, we're not out and about as we're used to, that doesn't stop God's word from going forth and from accomplishing what it wants to do through us. The real question is, what is God calling us to do? And I'm going to try to explain how that fits in with the next section, and it reads as a sort of a sidebar. It sounds like it's 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 a uh, it's like a sidebar. Is there a better word for that? Like, like a side story about Herod and John the Baptist, verses fourteen through twenty nine. And um, I think you'll see that there's something more than meets the eye here. So let let's look at it. Verse fourteen. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Before we really get into this, I'd like to explain something about this person, King Herod, and this name Herod that we run into in the New Testament. So there was a whole bunch of people named Herod during during this time period. And Herod was, the, the name Herod was like a family name, it was a title, it meant uh, something like, in, in Greek, hero-like. And they were descended from a people group called the Idumeans, the Idumeans. And the Idumeans were from a region that at one time was called Edom, and it's to the east and south of the Dead Sea. And this group of people, the Idumeans, were forcibly converted to Judaism in the 2nd century BC, about 160 years before Jesus came, by the Maccabees. And we know about the Maccabees from the Hanukkah story. And so the the Herod family uh, came from the Idumeans, and they they, because of connections that they had with Rome, they got established as some sort of royal line. And they, they claimed connection to the Jewish royal line, but they didn't have that connection at all. They're actually half Jews in a sense because they had been Idumeans. Um, but they got established as a, as a royal family, so to speak. There are six different Herods mentioned in the New Testament, and I'm going to put a link in the in the video um, description uh, to a very short explanation of the various Herods. Um, so as I said, there were six different Herods mentioned in the New Testament, and there's a lot of confusion about the Herods. 
um, because of the amount of intrigue and competition between them. They had multiple wives. There was all these divorces. There was incestuous relationships, execution of family members, and even some of their their first names, like Philip or whatever the given name, Philip. There's at least two Herod Philips, and there's a couple of Agrippas. So it it really gets uh, confusing. Also, what's confusing for us is that there were different times of political leadership. So there was uh, the original Herod the Great, who was was king, and then later on, uh, king-like and and king types and and governor-like people. And it, it's it as I said, it's it's kind of confusing. Um, but there are two Herods that play key roles in in the Gospels. And the first one is Herod the Great. He's the one who, uh, when the wise men came to Jerusalem looking, where is he who was born king of the Jews? He's the one that, that commanded the killing of all the children up to two years of age in Bethlehem at that time. Um, he's, he really left his mark on history uh, because of the building that he, he did during his reign. He died around the time Jesus was born. So sometime after the killing of the babies, he would have died. Um, and But uh, he built up the Roman city of Caesarea on the Mediterranean coast. He expanded the temple in, in Jerusalem. He's famous for these fortresses that he made. These were sanctuaries that he built in case something uh, in case his life was under threat. And one of the most famous ones, or the most famous one, is Masada. Maybe you've heard of that. It's near the Dead Sea. So uh, that's one of the, the Herods we hear about. And the other one is the one that's in this story in Mark chapter 6. And he was Herod Antipas. He was one of the sons of Herod the Great. And he was actually what was called a tetrarch, which means ruler over a quarter. And he, he was given... The regions, and there were two separate regions, Galilee, where much of the story of the Gospel of Mark takes place in the north, and a region called Perea, which is to the east of the Jordan River. This is the same Herod that was in Jerusalem during the Passover week when Jesus was died, which Jesus was died, when Jesus died. Um, is it too late to pray for me while I'm, I'm giving this? This is a recorded message, but you can pray for me anyway whether it affects this talk or later on, I could really use your prayers. All right, so let's get back to the, the, uh, the passage. So, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. So word was getting out about Jesus and getting out even to the halls of, of power. And it sounds as if that it was the sending out of the 12 and the things that they were doing in Jesus' name that brought Jesus to the attention of more people and to this Herod. Uh, Herod Antipas. And that comment that Herod hearing about Jesus leads us to this side story about John the Baptist. Here's the middle half of verse 14, and we'll continue down through verse 16. Some said, John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. So you see how People were struggling. They were hearing about Jesus. They saw him. Not everybody got to sit down and have a private interview with, with him. Many of the people that interacted with him, either they, they were healing and had a brief interaction or they were part of a crowd hearing him teach. They saw some of the things that he did. Um, but you know, who is this? And we see this theme all the way through Mark. Like, who is this really? Who is this really? And so there was these rumors about who he really, who he really was. But as far as Herod was concerned, 
Verse 16, but when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. And uh, so as far as Herod was concerned, he, it seems that he was haunted by what happened to him uh, with regard to John the Baptist. And then the Gospel of Mark explains this to us. Verse 17, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, that's another confusing thing about the Herods. They even had some of their women folk were named with Herod-like names. Uh, so he seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, as we say in Yiddish, oi. This this is, I don't know if you remember Peyton Place. Not that I ever watched Peyton Place. Um, but it's a, it's a soap opera of a, of a really awful kind. So he bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So the situation between Herod Antipas and the daughter of Herodias, and we know her name as Salome or Shlomit from the historian Josephus. And so this, this marriage between Herod and Salome was, was very, very wrong. It, 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 as far as we know, she divorced uh, Philip, which in in the Jewish religious law was illegal, but it was seemed to be legal under Roman law. So somehow she finagled this divorce. Philip was still alive when she married uh, Philip's brother Herod Antipas, and that was that was also wrong. There was nothing right about about this relationship, and and. Uh, including the fact that it's likely that Antipas and Herodias, so Herod and, and, and Herodias, I told you it's confusing, were related. So it's a mess. And the English Standard Version that I'm using here translates the, the verb well when it says, for John had been saying to Herod. It's, it's expressing that John was really on Herod's case with regard to this unlawful marriage. And this fills out for us some of John's ministry. So John's main ministry, as far as the Gospels are concerned, as far as the plan of God is concerned, is that he was the forerunner for the coming of Jesus. But he wasn't only doing that. We know uh, from the Gospel of Luke, for example, in Luke chapter 3, we see some of the other things he was saying and calling people to turn to God. The technical term for that is repent. So John was calling people to repent, including Herod. And, and what he had done in marrying Herodias. By the way, just because the word marriage is used doesn't mean it was a lawful marriage. It was still very wrong. It's possible. One of the things that's going on here through Mark, and as far as we know, Mark had written down the gospel as Peter used to, used to present. And it's possible that there's a shout out here uh, with regard to illegitimate marriages that both pay attention and realize that you know just because you're following Jesus doesn't mean you could and you're forgiven doesn't mean you do whatever you want and it seemed that uh, Herodias and Herod were not the only ones in finagling life and it's possible that even believers and there's reason to believe when you read Paul's letters and some of the things that he's calling people not to do anymore that very likely there was a lot of of wrong relationships and people doing wrong things, even though they were uh, true followers of Jesus. And so the the word is getting out through this story. You need to do something about your illegitimate relationships. 
So then we read verse 19, and Herodias had a grudge against him, that's John, and wanted to put him to death, but she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. So Herodias really had it out for John. And we know from ourselves and other people that we have a hard time when we, when, when people don't approve of our behavior. And sometimes, you know, we might know it's wrong, and, but as long as people don't say anything, we kind of take people's silence as assent. I've noticed that too, sometimes people will, will share something that they're doing. And I get the impression that they want to know, am I going to approve uh, of, of their behavior or not? In our day and age, it's become so, um, um, people don't want us to disapprove of whatever they're doing. They just want to, they want to do what they want to do. They want to tell everybody what they're doing. And, and everyone's just supposed to either just keep quiet or even better celebrate their behavior. But that's really not good for people. We need to care and love others to the point that we're actually going to speak into their lives. Now there's, we could be busybodies, um, but sometimes God lays something on our heart like he did for John to call out this uh, illegitimate, sinful behavior. Um, but Herodias couldn't handle it. She couldn't handle being called out this way. And so she wanted to, she wanted to put John to death, but Herod, um, stood in her way. And the, the way this is presented to us, it's easy to get some sympathy for Herod because it says he feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and kept him safe. But if he really feared John, that means respected him greatly, why did he imprison him in the first place? If if he really if if Herod was if Herod knew better, if Herod knew better, he wouldn't have married Herodias. Herod knew better, he wouldn't have imprisoned John. Um, but because of his, his wife, he puts him in prison. But because of who John is, he won't have him executed. So it's, it's a very, it's a, it's, it's, so what's going on here? Herod is conflicted. And being conflicted is dangerous, as we're going to see. So the middle of verse 20, when he heard him, so when Herod heard John, he was greatly perplexed, yet he heard him gladly. So being perplexed is being confused. You hear this, you think that, someone else says something else, and you know, you really don't, you don't know what to make of this thing. So what was perplexing to Herod? He couldn't get clear between what was right and his wife. So, you know, as the reader or the listener of the story, it looks pretty clear to us, but we know what it's like when we're in this situation. We often know what's right, and yet there's other voices. And when, it, you know, close relatives can be the ones that are the most difficult to filter out. And of course, we should respect our loved ones. We should care about our loved ones. We should serve our loved ones. But sometimes our loved ones are getting in the way between what God is saying and our, and our hearts. So then we hear about this opportunity, verse 21. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of, Gal- of Galilee. So this is not this opportunity looks it's not an opportunity as far as Herod's concerned. It's an opportunity for Herodias, and it's not the banquet. Um I'll explain that in, in a minute. So verse 22. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. 
And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I'll give, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. We see this in the, in the book of Esther where he, he, he promises Esther to, to give you whatever you want, Esther, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. It's an expression. It's a, it's a figure of speech, an exaggeration, but he's saying, tell me what you want and I'll, I'm going to, and I'm going to do it. And it even says it was a, he considered it a vow. A very solemn promise. Um, now, what what um, prompted this was Herodias's daughter, which we believe is Shlomit Salome. It was her dance, and this episode has gone into popular thought. There's a play. Oscar Wilde wrote a play called Salome, and there was an opera, and there's been movies, and it's always portrayed as if Salome, and there's art, art as well, don't look at the art, uh, as Salome is, is, um, is doing it like, is a seductress and doing a, um, a seductive type of dance. And that's what pleased, um, pleased Herod and his guests. But for all we know, based on the information that we have, she might have been a 12-year-old little girl that came out and did some kind of cutesy performance for them, and they probably had been drinking. And and so we don't know. We don't know if there was something alluring or just uh, happily delightful. We need to be careful not to read things into the story. What we do know is whatever her, uh, Salome did prompted this response. And, and they might have been, 99%, they were drunk. And so who knows? And, and this is still, this is not the opportunity. It's not like um, Herodias had, I have an idea. I'm going to send in my, my daughter and she's going to seduce everybody and prompt them. To, that's no, 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 no. That's not the opportunity yet. The opportunity is about to come up. Um, so Herod makes this offer up to half my kingdom. Verse 24, and she, Salome, went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? She didn't know. This could be another reason why she might have been young instead of older. And it might have been a very innocent question. Well, that was quite an offer from um, from your husband, stepfather, I guess. Well, I don't know what to ask for. And this is the opportunity. Herodias says, uh, middle of verse 24, the head of John the Baptist. And she, Salome, came in and immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. So Herodias seemed to be ready. She ready. She, she was waiting for that time. It seems that uh, John the Baptist, even though he was in prison, really, really grated on her and he was in the forefront of her mind and she was ready to do him in once that opportunity came, and this and this is what it was. And um, and notice verse twenty six, and the king Herod was exceedingly sorry because of his oaths, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. So here, on one hand, he he fears the prophet, and he wanted to hear him, um, but he was compromising by putting him into into prison. And now he was in this situation. He made this promise in front of all of his guests and his wife through Salome now Salome we don't know if she came in a little giggly self or in some other way here's it this is what I want and it's oh what am I going to do what should you do not what Herod did but he did that's that's how 
the conflict between Wright and his wife uh, really, really messed him up and really messed up John too. Um, verse 27, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. This thing of immediately, we see it all the, all the way through the Gospel of Mark, and usually it's, it's Jesus doing something immediately and going here immediately, and then he goes to and heals somebody immediately. Uh, and here, it's, it's evil at work in this immediate sort of way. Everyone's in a rush to do wrong. So he went and beheaded him. I'll start again. Verse 27. Immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Isn't that disgusting? Um, that, that this righteous man would be executed in this way, and then they flaunt the execution in this horrible, disgusting way. We think, oh, they were so backward. Those people back in those days, they were so backward that they would do something as bloodthirsty as this. Well, we need to look our society in the mirror. 150,000 pre-born babies are killed in Canada every year. And that's just one thing. And also, the way we treat people, and especially if somebody gets in our way, and they're getting in the way of our pleasure. They're getting in the way of our advancement. The things that we human beings can do when we have grudges against someone, it may not be a head on a, on a platter, but may as well be the way we can, we can treat people and we could try to do them in. So I don't think we're any less diabolical as a society as these ancient peoples were. So then we read in verse 29, when his disciples, that John the Baptist's disciples, heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And that's the end of the section, because then we go on to the, the next story, which I believe is the feeding of the 5,000, which we'll look at next time, God willing. Um, but this closes, it's a very clear closure of the section where John's disciples, now John's disciples, I thought... John's role was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And we see in the Gospel of John, named after the Apostle John, the same one who wrote the book of Revelation, uh, that it looks like Peter and Andrew had been disciples of John the Baptist, at least Andrew for sure, and then John encouraged them to then go follow Jesus. Whatever John was doing about this, it looked like there were disciples of him that stuck with him and didn't do the transition to Jesus. In fact, in Acts 18 and 19, we have Paul and, and others in the Roman Empire, uh, in Ephesus is one place, running into people who didn't know about Jesus but only knew about John. And so it seemed that there was some sort of John the Baptist movement that continued even after not only John had finished his the role that he played, but also after his death. So I wonder if one of the reasons for the telling of the story and, and telling it this way is to encourage John the Baptist people to realize that their teacher, that their leader, sadly, is dead and gone, unlike Jesus, who died and rose from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand and sent the Holy Spirit, and that He is Lord. He's the one that we're all supposed to follow. So people like John, a 
good man, a righteous man, um, often gain followers. And often we who follow people like this can fail to realize that their roles, their role is to point us to God, point us to God's word, not to their word. Maybe we've known people who have helped us know God, helped us understand his word, but they are not Lord. Jesus is Lord. Now, most of us reading the story about Herod and Herodias and Herodias' daughter, we would never see ourselves in their shoes unless we're in an illegitimate relationship that we should get out of. But apart from that, you'd think most of the people being exposed to a story like this wouldn't be relating to Herodias, to Herod. But they might be relating to John's disciples. They might need to hear that like Herod was conflicted, that there was what God was saying, this marriage was wrong, and then there was his loyalty to his wife. I wonder how many of us are conflicted because we're presented with God's word, but there's some other voice or voices that are getting in the way from, from hearing that word properly. And it's like, notice Herod, like Herod got it. He probably could have uh, done a test on, on what was right and what was wrong, what John was saying and that John was right. And yet when it came to living it out, he was stuck. And conflict doesn't just stay in this place of, of perplexity and confusion. It results in bad choices. So while maybe in Herod's mind, he was, and it says he was keeping John safe in prison, that was still wrong, but maybe he thought that was the best case scenario. But then the opportunity came, he was faced with a choice, and he went the wrong way. We're in a very difficult time. And I, I won't get into the, the levels of difficulty that we're facing during this COVID-19 crisis. But there's a pressure on us. There's anxiety. There's fear of the unknown. And during this time of, of pressure, even, and some of it, it's, the pressure is due to boredom and being cooped up. These are situations where we end up making decisions. Maybe some of you have returned to bad habits that you thought you had victory over. Time to deal with that and get back on track and get the help that you need. Maybe there's other behaviors that are beginning to be exhibited in our lives that we didn't even realize were part of us. We need to deal with that. And I believe the reason why we end up getting off track is because we're conflicted. Many of us, many of us, I assume, that are watching this and listening to this have God's word. Maybe we're not reading it sufficiently. Maybe we have been. And yet there are other voices. There are other voices that are getting in the way and the result is going to be pretty bad and highly destructive. So I would like to encourage all of us, myself included, to we need to get rid of the other voices. We need to get into God's word like never before. We need to be praying like never before. We need to be listening to the Lord like never before. And if there's things that need to change, now is the time. Don't wait. Don't wait till things get back to normal. This is the opportunity for some remarkable change that God wants to bring about in our lives.
Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is life. Forgive us, Lord, for being pulled by other loyalties, for allowing other voices to get in the way and to cloud what your word is saying to us. Set us free to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, if there are changes that we need to bring about in our lives, please give us the grace to do that. We thank you for the forgiveness which is ours in your Son and the power by his Spirit to live out your goodness. Please, Lord, release us from confusion. Release us from being perplexed. Release us from the conflict between your word and other voices and, and, and between you and other people. Set us free to fully serve you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Please leave comments, share this video, um, and uh, email me, contact me if you have any questions, concerns, or if you have any special, any needs. They don't have to be special at this time. Until next time. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.